uh, here we go. We're going to uh, finally get to the Word of God. So go ahead and open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You know, what was funny was um, at the conference yesterday, those of you that were here, uh, one of the speakers who's never been here before, he came up and he said, let's open the Bible to Acts chapter 11. And then everybody yelled at him and he was very confused. <laughs> he was like, whoa, what, what, what did you just do? Uh, so I had to explain it to him. So, but then he was excited about it. You know, every, every pastor loves for the people to say, let's go uh, when the Bible is open. So, but it was funny because it took him, took him uh, a little by surprise. Um, so we're ending 1 Thessalonians 5 uh, today, and we'll start 2 Thessalonians next week. Uh, verse 12, let's go ahead and start there. It says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord. This is how important the Bible is. <laughs> I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So today's message is called Work Hard, Pray Hard. Work Hard, Pray Hard. And as we finish 1 Thessalonians, and as we also come to our conclusion of the little mini-series about the will of God, we see one more time Paul's clear instructions about what is the will of God. He says it explicitly, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I love how 1 Thessalonians closes because it's like a flurry of quick punches, like a boxer trying to finish the round, you know? He's been fighting, he's, and then he's just boom, 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 you know? He's just getting, it's like these little phrases, and he just slams them at you for the next, you know, uh, uh, 18 verses or so, um, and he's just throwing everything. He's like, okay, I've discussed all of these things, and now I'm just going to, all the kitchen sink, I'm just going to throw everything else at you as fast as I can. Uh, it's like when a preacher doesn't have much time left, but lots of things to say, and so just, you know, just, I'm going to throw it all at you uh, all at the same time. This is Paul, which makes me kind of laugh when I read it, because I know how he's feeling uh, when he wants to get to the end of his letter, but he has too much to say, and so um, he does all of that. So he covers a million things. You can honestly preach a sermon on each phrase, you know, you could spend uh, like a year working through uh, each phrase. I'm not going to do that today, um, and I'm going to keep this fairly short uh, so that we can continue to have time to respond to the Lord. Uh, but the two phrases I think Paul's getting at here is work hard, pray hard. And so the first one, work hard, I think a good phrase that sums this up is verse 15 when he says, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. What a great well, sentence to live by, you know? 
I'm going to say all of these things. I'm going to put them under this one umbrella. Man, just look to do good to everybody. Make it your aim to wake up and be good to everyone. What a one. I mean, wouldn't that solve so many things? And you're like, I'm just going to wake up and I'm going to live to seek to do good to each people, each person I see today. To one another, meaning my brothers and sisters in the church, and to everyone, meaning everyone, everyone else. What a wonderful phrase that he sums it up. And this phrase always is so important. And what we're going to see as well in the pray hard section, that the phrase always is very important. And I think one of the things we're going to learn today about the will of God is this, is that the will of God is for always, not for sometimes. What is the will of God? What is, it is to always live in the will of God. God's will is that you would not take a break from God's will. God's will is that you would not rest from following God's will, you know. God's will is for always, not for sometimes. This is a little bit like last week, how we're supposed to stay highly alert, ready for God to come back, ready for the return of Jesus. He's going to come like a thief in the night. Therefore, we're highly alert and vigilant. We are ready always for the master to come home. God's will is for always, not for sometimes. And I think this would solve a lot of things in your life in terms of being committed to doing what God asks. And, and jumping in and relying on the Holy Spirit so that you can maintain that level of commitment to always be involved in seeking God's will. The will of God is that you would always do God's will. And obviously we fall short of this and we're going to see the grace of God in this, but the will of God is for always, not for sometimes. Now, the first work hard category he gives is ministry in the church. He says, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. So within the church, esteem them highly for their work. So there's these people that are laboring among you, that are working hard for your spiritual benefit. He says to respect them and to honor them, to be thankful for them. Now, this is great and helpful, but I want you to notice how when he begins to speak about these commands, he widens the, the scope and he says, all of you, you know, all the brothers. So he says, respect your leaders and be thankful for their work. But it isn't just, well, just watch your spiritual leaders work spiritually for you. No, no, no. He says, be thankful. They're working hard. So they're, they're investing. They're laboring, which is what ministry work should be. It's a labor. They're, they're laboring. They're toiling in the field. But you're not just watching them. He says, now, uh, to all the brothers, and then he gives all of these commands. Uh, to everyone. And so he widens the scope. And basically the laboring and the working within the church is now given to everyone to say we all ought to be laborers. We all ought to be working hard, you know. Uh, being committed to a lighthouse isn't easy. It's not about like, okay, well, I just enjoy community. I'm going to show up when it feels comfortable to me. No, no, no. To labor in the church is to commit to a group to help them grow so they can help you grow. It takes labor. If you want to spiritually grow, you got to work. You got to work, and the grace of God is in it, and you don't, certainly don't earn your salvation through working. But if you want to grow, you must labor. And some of you haven't grown because you're a little scared of some hard work. Some of you haven't grown because you haven't committed. Some of you haven't grown because you show up to Lighthouse, you know, once a month when you feel like it. Some of you haven't grown because you only read your Bible when you feel like it. Some of you haven't grown because you only come to church when you feel like it. Some of you haven't grown because you've been mistaken and you forgot that to grow 
is to labor in the, in the ministry. This is what Paul is after to say we ought to be doing this not just for ourselves, but then for one another. It's hard work. Doing church is hard work. Growing in the Lord is hard work. Living out the will of God is hard work. And we need to be mentally ready and focused to say, okay, it's hard. And this is why we ultimately don't depend on ourselves. But I want you to see something he does here. So he gives six different commands in regards to working hard in one form or another. It's not just at your job, but just working hard. One of them is tough, and five of them are tender. That's what I want you to notice. Because he does say the first thing, right? Uh, Respect those who labor among you in the Lord, those who admonish you, okay? He's just helping, you know. It's the the spiritual leader's job to, in some sense, admonish you. So uh, respect them, esteem them highly in their work, And then he gives five more. Be at peace among yourselves. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with all and repay no one evil for evil. Now, one of the things I want you to notice is he says in verse 12, admonish you. He says in verse 13, be at peace amongst yourselves. And then he says in verse 14, admonish the idol. And so there's there's this command to be at peace sandwiched in between these two commands of admonishment. And I began to ponder this, to think, well, that's interesting. Admonish, be at peace. Admonish. And those don't seem to go together to say, hey, why don't we just say, be at peace amongst yourselves, sandwiched in between these two calls to admonish one another. Why didn't you just do admonish and admonish and get the admonishing out of the way and then move on to the other things? And I think the reason for this is that peace, real peace, is not about avoiding issues, but addressing them with God's perspective. Peace is the result of godly conflict resolution. Peace is the result of calling out your brothers and sisters when they're obviously walking in sin. Peace is the result of admonishment. The goal of a spiritual leader when they rebuke an admonishment is to bring about the peace of God in your life through repentance and holiness. And if we avoid admonishing one another because we can't handle awkward conversations or we're bad at conflict resolution, we actually will be experiencing a false peace, a weak peace, a shallow peace, the kind of peace that just avoids issues and doesn't mature but just stays where it's at. He says, admonish spiritual leaders, admonish the flock. Be at peace amongst yourselves and then admonish one another to work hard. And so we have to be able to grow in this. Peace is not about avoiding issues, but it's about addressing them with God's perspective. And some of you on this line, some of you are, you love to admonish people, (laughs) but you don't do it with the goal of peace. When we admonish, the goal is peace. And some of you love peace, but you will avoid conflict as if your life depended upon it. But the peace you think you're experiencing is shallow. It's not real. And this is going to require all of us to mature. So admonish is the one tough command. And then he gives these five tender ones. Be at peace. Look at this. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with all of them. And do not repay evil for evil. I think this is helpful because we all need to learn to be tough and tender But there's a clear uh, priority here. 
There's a clear, uh, it's not balanced. This isn't 50% tough, 50% tender makes 100% whole person. This is like, okay, you need to be honest with each other, and then you need to overwhelm one another with kindness. You need to be super merciful. Admonish, and then and help the weak. Encourage the faint-hearted. Do not repay evil for evil. Be at peace amongst yourself. And this is where I think we learn that we all have to grow in the tenderness of the Lord. This is my favorite thing about Jesus is that he was so wonderful at this. He was not afraid to challenge the status quo. He was not afraid to admonish and rebuke, but he was known for being kind to sinners. He wasn't wishy-washy like, oh, that doesn't matter how you're living your life. No, 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 no. He was honest. He was truthful. But he leaned up towards tenderness and mercy. Jesus is known for helping the weak. That was like his thing. He was called a friend of sinners. So what a wonderful thing for us this morning. I hope this encourages you that in the midst of your life, Jesus is very tender with you. The reason why we're supposed to live this way with one another is because Jesus modeled this for us. Tough and tender, but overwhelmingly tender, merciful, patient, kind, encouraging. Jesus does not despise your weakness this morning. Jesus is not impatient with you this morning. Jesus is not discouraged by you this morning. Jesus does not want to be your enemy this morning. Jesus is not going to repay your evil with evil back onto you this morning. It is Jesus' heart through the cross and your faith and trust in him that he can now take care of your sins on the cross and then only give you mercy. What does the cross do? It satisfies God's anger so God can just be kind to you. Do you know that, Christian? All you get is God's kindness. That's it. Even his discipline, right? It says in Hebrews 12, it's painful now, but it bears the fruit of righteousness. His discipline means that you're his child. It's an act of kindness to you. So believe that. If you've trusted in Jesus, then he's helping you in your weakness. He's encouraging you in your faint-heartedness. He is patient with you in your foolishness. He will not repay evil back to you for your evil. As a matter of fact, he will return mercy to you for your sin because of the cross. So work hard because Jesus has worked hard for you. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. The next thing is pray hard, pray hard. Work hard, pray hard. Uh, it was funny because the person who did the graphic originally put work hard, play hard, because, you know, that was the play of words for my sermon. But they missed that part, you know, so we got it fixed. But work hard, pray hard. So the first sentence under work hard is to always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. What a great sentence to live by. Uh, under pray hard, I, I made a sentence that tries to put these things together. Um, it's this. Always seek to pray for one another and to give thanks to God with a happy heart in everything. What does it mean to pray hard? Well, it means to always seek to pray for one another and then to give thanks to God with a happy heart in everything. Like I said in the beginning, the will of God is for always, not for sometimes. He says to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, I think the phrase, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, covers a lot of what came before and after. It's, like a, it's a good summary statement, but it is important that it's directly attached to thanksgiving. 
So does, it, does the will of God cover these other commands? Sure. But does it matter where it's placed in the Bible? Well, of course it does. And it's directly attached to thanksgiving, meaning that it is God's will and his primary concern that in all things you would cultivate a thankful heart. What is God's will for you in your suffering is to practice thanksgiving. What is God's will for you in your confusion is to practice thanksgiving. What is God's will for you in your struggle is to practice thanksgiving. We're always trying to see what is God's will? What, what is he going to do? What is he going to figure out? And praise the Lord, he will do those things in his time. But what is God's will for you in the moment that you can do right then without any of your circumstances changing? Well, you can practice thanksgiving. And you know what it is? It is uniquely Christian to be thankful when life stinks. Nobody else in the world has access to that kind of supernatural ability. And they shouldn't. The only reason you can be thankful when life stinks is because God is still there and heaven is still promised. And if you don't have Jesus through faith in him through the cross, then God is, you don't have God as your ever-present help and you don't have heaven as your promise. You know what's a testimony to the world? You know, when you don't grumble when, you're, when life is hard. Why do you have a thankful heart when things are bad? You know what complaining does? It tells the world you're just like them. But thankfulness in the midst of struggle, that's uniquely supernatural. I think that's why he attaches this to say, in all circumstances, literally all day, in every possible circumstance you find yourself in, you can know for certain, no matter whether it's good or bad, that it is God's will that you would be thankful. Take that, practice it, and as we've talked about many times, Thanksgiving is a trampoline. It launches you into all these other things with the Lord, you know? We enter into his presence with Thanksgiving and his courts with shouts of joy. Thanksgiving is, is the key that unlocks so many of the other experiences we have with God. And maybe the reason why you can't mentally navigate your current crisis is because you haven't practiced Thanksgiving, and because you haven't practiced Thanksgiving, you haven't unlocked the door to the presence of God to help you and to be present with you. Thanksgiving is such a wonderful gift to us. This is God's will for you. And then he says, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies. Now these are very interesting and wonderful phrases and I'm gonna simplify it for you because they're, I think they're connected. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies. This is right after, this is the will of God and it's connected to a life of joyful prayer and thanksgiving. I hear something for you to write down, and we talk about the Holy Spirit a lot here because people have really bad theology on the Holy Spirit, and we need people to understand what happens. Here's what it is. Uh, we quench the Spirit when we are cynical about his work. Let me say something. If we were singing that song about God doing miracles, and you felt cynical in your heart, you were quenching the Holy Spirit. Cynical. Just, I don't know. I haven't seen. No. Hey, maybe he can't. I don't know. This is something I'm learning actively about, about the Holy Spirit. To quench the Holy Spirit is to be cynical, right? Because it's to despise. So when I am cynical about his work or what he could do or even about my situation, like our friend said, like, this is not going to get any better, you know? Like, that's how you feel. That cynicism is quenching the Holy Spirit. It's to not believe. And you know what would help you believe? is to practice thanksgiving, 
Because then you remember, okay, God is able. I mean, my goodness, he saved me from my sins. He parted the Red Sea. He does all this. Of course he's able. And so cynicism quenches the Holy Spirit. Now, so we quench the Spirit when we are cynical about his work, when we despise prophecies or despise the things God is able to do. We release the Spirit when we are centered in his word. So this is so important, okay? I, this is very important here, okay? So we're word, spirit, people, okay? When the word and the spirit come together with the people of God, whew, acts happens and all these amazing things God does. And people get out of balance, right? We've talked about this. Some people are just word and people and they neglect the Holy Spirit. And so they're, they have good theology, but they're cold in their hearts and there's no real life there. And then some people are just spirit and, and people, but they've neglected the word. And so they're off doing crazy things, you know, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And it's just wild and it's not appropriate. And it's not in order. And there's this lack of balance, but the Bible comes together and says you need to engage with the Holy Spirit according to the Word of God. And that provides both objective truth upon which I stand on. I will never get up here and say the Holy Spirit said something to you that the Bible doesn't confirm. I'll never do that. And the moment I do that, you should fire me. <laughs> or if anybody does that, it's not nobody. Don't go to church like that. Don't do that. But if I get up here and say, well, the Spirit's leading us in this, and I say, I think we should practice Thanksgiving right now. He's like, okay, <laughs> I have a million Bible verses for that. We have to learn because you stand on objective truth so that you're not wishy-washy, but you enter into a subjective experience with God. I don't plan every meeting I have with my spouse as to how it's going to make me feel and what's going on. She's a person. I sit down with her. I engage and things happen, you know, and I have feelings and she says and this, blah, blah, blah. God is a person. When he's here, we're engaging with him. So it's something subjective. You can't just come in and say, I'm going to sing three songs, listen to a sermon, and leave. Now I'm going to meet with God, and it's going to be something dynamic and active. And it's not going to be like last Sunday because today is a different day. My conversation with my wife today is different than the one from last week because today is a different day. And so you break out of the routine because you expect something subjective, something personal, something experiential, but you do so founded on the word of God so you don't go crazy. That's the kind of church we have to be. This is the kind of church God is calling us to. So we do not quench the spirit by being cynical about what he can do. We do not despise prophecies or the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. We pursue and step into them, but we do so with biblical caution. And so we quench the spirit when we're cynical, but we release the spirit when we're centered on his word. That's why the next phrase is test everything. According to what? The word of God. Acts 17, there's this story of Paul preaching, and there's this group called the Bereans, and they listened to him talk, and then it says they went back and they tested what he said according to the word of God which is what you should do every time you hear a preacher talk. Every time you're in a light, every time. So we test everything. We despise nothing. And you know what this takes? A lot of maturity. It's easy to throw one off or the other and say, well, that's crazy, or this is, or no, no, no. It takes maturity to be able to understand the word and to enter into a subjective, dynamic, unexpected experience and to handle that according to godliness. So we have to grow up into that. Test everything. You can't test everything if you don't know the word, though. This isn't just go look it up, which is great, but you should always be in the word. I heard a pastor once say that when you hear something off, even if you don't know why it's off, it should smell bad to you. You know? It's like, that's not right. Can I explain it? No, I don't know. I need to go figure it out, you know? Why is that wrong? You know? Like, but it should. You just have a sense, you know? I've been in the word. 
the word abides in me, and I just, you know, I, I can test it. And I begin to cultivate an instinct that's supernatural, that allows me to test and discern. And then I go back to the word and get confirmation. I mean, these are words written down. So this is great. There's nothing, just, there's words on a page, you know. So I can go look and say, well, does it say that or does it not say that? Great. So this is what we want to grow in. We quench the spirit when we're cynical about his work, when we despise prophecies or supernatural gifts or the things God wants to do. We release the spirit when we're centered on his word, word, spirit, people. Okay. Now the outcome here is to hold fast to what is good. I love this. So the whole point of engaging with the Lord in all of these ways is that you would eventually come to terms with this. You would hold to what is good and that you would release what is bad. Why do I do all of these commands? So what is he punching at? What is he trying to get to? Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. What's the end goal? Well, that you would hold fast to what is good and release what is bad. And as you learn and grow, you hold fast to what is good and you release what is bad. And as you mature in the word and you hear different things, you hold fast to what is good, you release what is bad. You test what somebody says, you hold fast to what is good, you release what is bad. And if your practice doesn't lead to an increase of holding fast to what is good and releasing what is bad, then something's wrong with your practice. The end result should be that you grow as a person to hold more good and let go of more bad. And if you come to me with a certain type of thinking, practice, or theology, but it leads you into an increase of bad and a less of good, then I know that's not from the Lord. The outcome of following these practices should be that you hold fast to what is good, that you release, let go of what is evil, and you increasingly every day grow towards that more and more until God calls you home. So here's the encouraging part. It says finally here, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. What a way to end a book. Here are all the things you need to do. Work hard. Pray hard. Do this. Admonish. Don't be idle. Encourage. Test everything. And at the end of it, he says, and at the end of the day, it ultimately isn't about you or reliant on you. He is faithful, and he will surely do it. Here's something you need to understand, that your work and prayers are made effective by the faithfulness of God. And this guarantees the results of your labor. Why should you labor hard to grow in the Lord? Why should you labor hard to admonish one another? Why should you labor hard to do these things? Why? Well, because it ultimately doesn't vanish into the air. God is faithful, and he will bring to pass, and he will bring all these things together, and he will do the thing he wanted to do. And so everything you do at every moment has significance because it's not attached to your ability to pull off an outcome, but to God's faithfulness that he will do what he's already promised. This makes everything in your life significant. Every moment, significant. Everything that seems small, significant. Every act of admonishment and patience and encouragement and holiness, significant. Why? Because it's not about your ability to produce an outcome. Work hard, pray hard, and God will surely do it. Here's something to encourage you. If he called you to it, he will carry you through it. It says that he has called you to this. And he who called you is faithful. Faithful to do what? Sanctify you completely. Faithful to do what? Finish what he started in you. Faithful to do what? 
May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord. God is faithful to complete what he has started, faithful to finish the work he began in you, faithful to continue to forgive your sins, faithful to continue to help you become more like Jesus, faithful to always be patient with you, faithful to always help cultivate the right things in you, faithful to always bring conviction when it's needed and encouragement when it's needed, faithful to always bring the right people around you exactly when you need it. He is faithful to always make good on his promises. He is faithful. Nothing has ever been left undone. Nothing is left to chance. There is no gaps in God's plan, and there is no gaps in what God is doing in his life. He is working to bring something to completion. And if you put your faith in him, you are joining God in what he's already doing, and the outcome for you is guaranteed. God is faithful. So if you're here today and you are relying on your own ability to give yourself a happy life or a promise and you need to turn today to trust in Christ and to receive his forgiveness so that you can believe in him and receive the faithfulness of God. And if you're here today and you feel challenged and encouraged to do these things, remember that everything you do is attached to the faithfulness of God. You don't know how it's going to work out, but he will surely do it. What a phrase. So I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to tell yourself that right now as the band comes up. He will surely do it. He will surely do it. What am I afraid of? What what am I doubting? What am I fearful of? What am I navigating right now? And what areas of my life am I being motivated to change? At the end of the day, God is completing what he's, he will surely do it. Just he will surely do it. He will surely do it. He will surely do it. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. So Father, we put our trust in you. I pray now as we respond to you that you would increase our trust in you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to work hard, to pray hard, and to trust that you will surely do it. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the cross and the hope we have in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Let's respond to the Lord.